Welcome to the Way Church Service at Greystone with Pastor John. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Give him the truth. It's very important that we get this out there because there's very little truth being preached out there today. Thank God this little white church has the truth. Amen. And it's the truth that sets us free. Amen. Amen. Free to be the people God created us to be. We're going to be talking about faith this morning. We're going to talk about walking by faith and living by faith. So we're going to be going into this very important subject. Living a life of faith. I'd like to speak to you today about one of the most important areas in our walk with the Lord. And that is our faith. Trust and confidence in God. We're going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. Please turn with me there. We are going to be going through the Bible quite a bit this morning, so be prepared, because that's where the power is. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. So that's how important faith is. We can't please God if we don't have faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So anyone who wants to come to the Lord has to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him or diligently seek him amen he rewards us for that when we look for him he looks for us and he finds us and he rewards us for that that faithful look for him amen Amen. all right now go with me to romans chapter 10 we're going to establish our groundwork here romans chapter 10 so how do we get this faith Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Like I said, we're going to be going through the scriptures, so don't put that Bible down. (laughs) I'm going to give you time to get there. I need time to get there this morning, too. (laughs) I might have to start sleeping here. (laughs) I'm spending so much time here. But I love it here. This is nice. This is nice. The safest place for me to be. Amen. Safest place for you to be too. That's right. Because when we're together, there's power. When we're together, the devil likes to pick us off when we're alone out there in the world. You know, just like when a lion hunts for its prey. It goes after the one that's lagging behind, not the the herd. It always goes for the one lagging. So that's who the devil goes after. The ones who are lagging back in their faith, not coming to church walking by themselves, and the devil comes and tries to pick them off. It's easier to get picked off that way, amen? Amen. So you're better off staying in the pack, for sure. 
for your own good. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So, so faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. This is where it comes from, from hearing the good news about Christ. You heard the good news about Christ, and, and with faith you believed it. Amen? And you became a child of God by believing that. Amen? And heaven is your home guaranteed if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, now go with me to Luke chapter 22. A few more scriptures here to establish this groundwork we have to. You have to understand it. All the messages that come from this pulpit come from the Bible. That's why I bring you to the Bible so there's no discrepancies there. Amen? Amen. Okay. Luke chapter 22. All of us go through this one. It's talking to Peter and Jesus. Luke 22 verse 31. You know how there's a library, right? And you put a lot of books in that library. There's only one book you need in that library, and that's the Bible. It has every answer to your questions of life. All the other books are written by people, people trying to figure out people. There's only one solution. God is the solution. He has it. You go in the Bible and read that, you'll be flipping to them pages faster than lightning. Amen? Go in there. When you want to read a book, read the good book, the real book, the true book. Okay, is everybody there? Luke 22, verse 31. He's talking to Simon Peter here. He's saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. So when the devil, when God lets the devil sift us like wheat, he does that to grow us, Jesus is pleading with us. He said, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So all of us are going to get sifted, and our faith is going to get tested. Can I get an amen for this? Every time God puts you through a test, it's a test of your faith to see where you're at. There's a reason why. And he says it should not fail. A lot of times our faith fails in these troubles because we don't understand what's going on. We think because we're coming to church and reading our Bible that we shouldn't be having these adversities, but that's not the way it is. That's because you are. And the devil is coming at you and God is trying to grow you to the next level in faith. That's why he does it. Now he says in verse 32, I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, how many times do we, we have to repent and turn to him again? Every day. Every day we have to turn to him again. Because all of us fall short of the glory of God. Then after... He said that, look, he said, so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. What do you do with it when you get stronger? You help strengthen your brothers. You don't just keep it to yourself. You use it to help others. Can I get amen for this? He didn't save us for ourselves. He saved us for his purposes, not ours. And his purpose is what? All of us to become 
Christ-like and build this kingdom down here to turn from our old ways and to get into the new ways, the new birth, born again, amen? A new way of life, new lifestyle. All right. Luke 18, so you're in Luke 8. Go to Luke 18 now, since you're in Luke. I won't beat you up too much this morning. Stay so in Luke 18. <clears throat> Jesus made a fantastic statement here in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Jesus said, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? When the Son of Man returns, right? How many will he find on the earth who have faith? The Bible says in the last days, many will depart from the faith. And they'll start to follow doctrines of demons instead of the doctrines of the Bible. That's why I tell you to stay in the Word of God. Because the devil is going to try to get you out of the Bible and follow doctrines that come from demons because they're not from God. Any, any, anything that's not from God is from what? Demons. So we have to understand that. So when you, That's why it's important that you grow in the word of God. Amen? To stay there so you don't get tripped up. Because the devil comes as an angel of light. He loves to use half-truths and mix them with worldly things. So we, can use, so we can touch our intellectual mind instead of walking by faith. Because you can't see faith. You have to have faith. It's not something that can be figured out. It's supernatural. God is supernatural. Our human mind cannot wrap our head around how God works. So don't even try. You can't figure him out. He has you figured out, but you can't figure him out. And believe me, you can't even figure yourself out. Ask yourself why you do some of the things you do. Over and over again and expect something different to come out of it. Right? That's why we need a what? A savior. Because we can't save ourselves. Amen? <clears throat> If the, and those who think that they can, you go for it. I'll see you soon, I hope. <laughs> Nobody's guaranteed to come back, amen? Look, when you walk out of God's will, you have choices to make, good or bad ones. Every day of your life, you have choices to make, and God never takes away our free will choice. Just because you come to church and read your Bible does not guarantee that you're going to make the right choices unless you live by what the Bible tells you to do. Okay, the big amen there, right? You can hear it, but look, that's what Don James said. What good is it if you just hear it and not do what it says? You're only fooling yourselves. And your faith is useless. Everybody thinks they do their religious activity and then go about their life and do things their own way. That's not how it works. Well, you can try that way. It never works. Okay. The theme of the message today is living a life of faith. What is the definition of faith? It means belief in, devotion to, trust in somebody or something, allegiance or loyalty to someone or something. For the Christian believer, okay, faith is putting our total trust and confidence in God. Now, an acronym for that would be for faith, feeling afraid, I trust him. Feeling afraid, 
I trust him. Can you get amen for that? Faith. Feeling afraid, I trust him. How many of us still have a lot of fears in our lives? We still have a lot of fears. We fear that somebody might not come to the Lord. We fear that, you know, they're not going to get it. But instead of fear, we've got to have faith. Faith replaces fear. Fear is a lack of faith. So whenever you're afraid of something, that means that your faith is lacking. So you have to understand the principle. Feeling afraid, I trust him. Write it down. Now, living by faith is not as easy as it sounds. We all know that, right? The topic of faith focused on Abraham from Hebrews in chapter 11. This man, despite his imperfections, okay, was characterized as a person who lived by faith. He was obedient to God's call and direction for his life, despite how it sounded or appeared. The exercise of faith, Abram, who became Abraham, was called by God in Genesis chapter, one, chapter 12. Please go with me there. Genesis chapter 12. God told him to leave his homeland and go to a land he did not know. We're going we're gonna to glean off of Abraham this morning. Is everybody with me so far? Yeah. Amen. All right. You're going to get something today to take with you. How many of us need to strengthen our faith life? Really, all of us, right? That's why the Lord wrote this topic on me to share with you and help you with. All of us need to get <clears throat> strengthened in our faith. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. You see, when God blesses us, it's so we can be a blessing to others. Can I get an amen for this? That, there's a principle right there. Bless those who bless you. Listen, it says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. So be careful how you treat your spiritual authority and leaders. He says he will bless the ones that follow them, but he says what? He will curse those who go up against them. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Marah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Leave your country, literally, means leave everything behind. The spiritual principle is to disassociate yourself from everything you know. Your country, your people, and your father's household. Hard words to hear, right? Even harder words to obey. To detach yourself from life securities 
whether financial, material, or relational, and follow God to an unknown place is the pinnacle of our faith. Detaching oneself from what, we, what is known and comfortable is the essence of what it means to trust God and to be obedient. Abram's obedience also impacted others. Sarai, his wife, and his nephew Lot and his family. Our obedience to God will impact those around you as it did for Abram. Can I get an amen for this? When you follow the Lord and you're obedient to him, it what? It helps others to become obedient and follow God. That's how it works. Our obedience to God will impact those around you as it did for Abram. There is a cost, though, to living by and in faith. There is a cost to being obedient to God's call and direction in one's life. Our modern curiosity wants to know about the emotional scars and wounds left by such a drastic severing of all that one values. Our perspective is that is to move, to move our perspective is that this move must have caused an enormous relational and emotional void. Just imagine when the, the Lord said to Peter, drop your net and follow me. Whatever his life was, everything, just drop it and follow me. That's what God's asked you to do when you become a believer. Amen. Leave whatever you know to be comfortable to you and put your faith in me instead. Whew. Right? Our perspective is that that move may have, must have caused an enormous relational and emotional void. How did they cope when God told them to leave? There were no counselors. There was no psychiatrists or home groups to help process the loss. It appears from the narrative of Genesis 12 that Abram, Sarai, Lot, and the others packed up and left. No apparent emotional meltdowns. No family interventions and prayer chain messages. In particular, Sarai's response to leave what she knew to follow her husband was very different from Job's wife, who said, curse God and die. All the people associated with Abraham exercised faith as they followed him in obedience. The struggle of faith, often our first thoughts of faith, are associated with salvation. Okay? We think of and act upon accepting Jesus' death on the cross for our salvation as an action of faith. Are you with me so far? It's true we accept what Jesus did for us by faith. This is only the beginning of our faith journey. Having taken this first step of faith, we are now on a lifetime journey of acting in faith to God's truth and direction. Faith applied to daily living is where we struggle and the disconnect occurs. Can I get an amen for this? Faith applied to our daily life and daily living is where the struggle and the disconnect occurs. Struggling to apply our faith and to follow in faith is the norm. There are several reasons why this is a struggle. Let's look at some of them, okay? Number one, we want to help God out. Okay? We want to help him out. We say we trust him, but not completely. If we could just have some level of influence on the situation and still have God involved, we would be happy campus, right? I'll use my, my knowledge and God together. We'll mix it, 
And now we'll be all set, right? Instead of saying, no, forget what I know, I'm just going to trust God and go into the unknown. All of us struggle with this, right? We all want to help God out, right? Do you think God needs your help? No. <laughs> no. no. He needs, we need his help, right? Some of us are too prideful and stubborn to think that way. Okay. <laughs> Have you with me so far? If we could just have some level of influence on the situation and still have God involved, we'd be happy campers. However, if we could control and rely on ourselves to do what God calls us to do, it wouldn't be fake. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 11, go with me there. Hebrews chapter 11, let's find out why. If we could control and rely on ourselves to do what God calls us to do, it would not be faith. And a lot of us, as we get saved, we try to do it in the flesh. All of us try that way. And it never ends up working out. Because we can't do it in the flesh. That's why we accept Jesus as our Savior. He's the one that does it through us and for us. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 look at verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. That's where the faith life comes in. People always look up as they try to figure out the stars and who, how this all got here. God put it here. He spoke the world into existence. That's how it got here. Look no further. Everybody's looking up into space more and more and more and more and more. Listen, if God wanted us in space, there would be oxygen up there. If he wanted us up there, he would give us the ability to live up there. And everybody spends billions of dollars to look on what's going on up there instead of focusing on what's going on down here. The money they spend up there could solve the problems down here. Because they try to figure out, God, how this got created. Look, there's got to be a better explanation than that. And there's even believers, so-called believers, that think, that they can figure out the solar system, the stars, this, that, and the other thing. Go for it. The Bible says he saved you to become like Jesus, not to figure out what's up there. Or figure him out. You can't figure him out. Most people spend time figuring out when he's coming back. When's this? And when's this? And when, instead, of fixing, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, what's going on with me? I'm going to become like Jesus. That's the whole mission. And what does it do? It takes the focus right off of me and right on to everything else going around me. I'm going to go out there and help everybody. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do missions. I'm going to do this. First, you have to get fixed. before any, And you can be any help in God's kingdom at all. But no, everybody just wants to go out there and save the world when they can't even save themselves. Can I get an amen for this? All right. To live by faith means that not only are we not in control of the circumstances of life, 
But we aren't, but we aren't attempting to control them either. We're not attempting to control them living, but to live by faith is not attempting to control any situations either. Okay? To live by faith means that I am trusting in a sovereign God who is all wise, all knowing, all sufficient, and has promised to complete the good work that he has begun in me. And where did I get that? Go with me to Philippians chapter 1, please. God saved us for one reason and for one reason only, to become like his son. Something we couldn't do in our sin nature. Can I get an amen for this? Now we can say no to sin and yes to him and do things God's way, not our way. Like I said, the Bible becomes the owner's manual. Look at verse 1 of Philippians, I mean um, verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul was really, really certain about this. He said in verse 6, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when, Jesus, when Christ Jesus returns. So let's go like this. We're never going to arrive. He's going to work on us all the way till we go home with him. He's never going to be finished with us. After we mature, he what? prunes the mature branches so it produces more fruit. So the pruning process is always going to take place for a believer. We never arrive. Our faith is going to get tested and tested and tested again. And always remember one thing. The teacher is always silent during the test. You're not going to see God or figure him out or feel him. Because God isn't a feeling, he's a fact. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then what does he do? He withdraws himself from you. You have no sense of God at all. And he puts you in a situation. And he says, you're going to trust me here? Or are you going to try to do it? Most of the time, I'm praying. I can't feel God. i got to take over. I can't. God, God, I don't feel God. God's not a feeling. He's not a feeling. He's a fact. He said, I'll never leave you enough. I said, do you believe that today? Well, stop relying on your feelings because they're not reliable. The devil works through your emotions. Only in the most dire of circumstances do we relinquish control and walk by faith. And then, only because we have to. Only when the situation is so grave that we, don't know, that we know we don't have the resources to turn it around. That's when we do it. This is the disgruntled walk by faith. How then should we live by faith? We often struggle to understand what is happening. Right? The Apostle Paul struggled to understand what was happening in his life. He, decided, he desired to trust God and live by faith and obedience, but it was often a struggle. How do we know that? Paul relates this struggle in Romans chapter 7. Turn with me there, please. How many of us struggle with our faith? How many of us struggle to let God be in control of our lives? All of us. Right? And Paul's going to explain exactly why. All I know is this. God, God's time frame and my time frame are two different schedules. If you read your Bible, no, 
I mean, Noah was building an ark for a hundred years in the desert before the, before the promise came, before the flood came. A hundred years, he had to trust God and build that boat in the desert. So don't think that everything's going to happen for you in your time frame. It might not happen to you in your lifetime. That's why you have to trust him by faith that he's going to handle it. And it might not be your way. But he has the perfect solution. He has the perfect answer. Because he's the one who created you. And he's the boss and we're not. And once you can accept that God is the boss, you can humbly get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I always try to figure things out on my own. I'm going to put it in your hands from here on in. Father knows best. And all of us who fight against God, you're going to go in for a rough ride as you're through this life. Going through this life struggling against what God says to do, you're going to struggle and be miserable. Submit and obey. There's no other way to be happy as a Christian but to trust and obey. Amen? A lot of us can get mad at God saying, why this God? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing it this way? He does it his way because he sees the beginning to the end. We don't. We're very finite. We're only in the moment. He knows the whole picture. He knows what the outcome is going to be. We don't. Can I get an amen for this? So let's go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law or the word of God. For it is spiritual and good. Because all of us agree that the word of God is spiritual and good. Yes, we can agree with that, right? Here it is. The trouble is with the world. Oh, it's not there. I must, it must have been a typo in my Bible. It says, the trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Look, if we can't even understand ourselves, how are we going to understand how God works? I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law of the word of God is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He's talking about sin as a lie. It's like a virus that lives inside of us. It lays dormant for a while. And then all of a sudden it pops its ugly head into our mind and causes us to do something against God. Can I get an amen for this? Even as a Christian. Because we inherited it from Adam. It's in our cell structure. It's in our DNA. So we're always going to be struggling with sin. You have to make peace with that situation. And you have to understand what God's grace and mercy is for. For when the sins of weakness come, His grace and mercy covers it. He doesn't cover us living in sin. He covers our sins of weakness. He knows if you're living in a willful rebellion against him, knowing that it's wrong and doing it anyway, don't expect God to cover that one. He won't. All you get is the angry judgment of God and the chastening of God. Can I get an amen for this? He saved us to come up out of it. Now he says, look what it says in verse 17. So I know... I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And look what it says in verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul. How smart was he? He penned in 13 epistles of the Bible. And look what he said about himself. Look at his self-evaluation. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sin nature. He's saying before Christ, everything about him 
was no good, none of it. Can you admit that? Can you look in the mirror and say, there's nothing good in me apart from Jesus Christ? Or do you look in the mirror and say, I'm really not that bad. And who are you comparing yourself to saying that? Look to the left, look to the right. You'll find yourself doing better or worse than a lot of other people. But you look at that cross. And all of us are failing. We all fall short of God's glory. And Paul understood that and he says, and he knew nothing good lived in him. Do you know that today? Will you admit that today? If you won't, that's called pride. And don't expect God to do anything for you. Can I get an amen for this? It's a humble walk with him. Now, look what he says. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I don't. But I can't. I can't. Why is he doing it? He saying, in his flesh, he can't do what is right. In God's sight, not in yours or the world's. In God's sight. He says, and I know nothing good lives in me that I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He's saying he's actually possessed by the sin inside of him. It's controlling him. Everybody thinks possession is somebody turning green, spitting pea soup out of the mouth, spinning their head around. That's not what possession is. Possession has been something controlling you that is against God that you can't control. You're possessed by sin. You can't stop doing it. Can I get any men for this? Now he says, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And look at verse 21. He discovered something. I have discovered this principle of life. I hope you have too. You're going to learn this morning. This is going to discover this yourself. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law or God's word with all my heart. Do you? Do you love God's word with all your heart? Or are you finding discrepancies in that word? Or do you love it with all your heart? It says, now look what it says in verse 23. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He says, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, but this struggle is driving me crazy. I thought that I was supposed to be perfect after I got saved. And how do Christians do? Every time they fail, they beat themselves up and say, oh, I should be no better. I should do better. Read Romans 7. We can't do better in the flesh. It's because we're not trusting God. We're doing it in our flesh. Can I get an amen for this? Is everybody catching on to what I'm saying? I'm just starting to wake up, so lock them doors. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that, right? This is some good medicine for you today. This is better than any other book you're going to read. Now look what it says. There's another power within me, verse 23, that is war with my mind. This power that lives inside of me makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. You see, we still get, we're saved and we're new creatures, but we still have a sin nature that's just as rotten as it ever was. Have you not noticed that? After you got saved, you still think and do things that are not God, godly? 
Or can you actually say, no, I'm like an angel every day now since I got saved? Don't lie. God don't like that. <laughs> Man, now, what is the result of you trying to do it in your flesh? Look at verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Now, let me ask you this. Are you miserable? Are you a miserable Christian? If you are, he just explained why you're miserable. Because you're not understanding your own sin nature. You don't understand it. He says, what a miserable person I am. Now he's saying, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Oh boy, who wants the answer to that one? Can I get an amen? Could you want an answer to that question? Look how hard this answer is. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, who is Jesus Christ our Lord? That book you got in your hand is Jesus Christ our Lord. You see? That's what you have to understand. Thank God the answer is in the Bible. It's the Word of God that gives us the answer. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word became flesh. Can I get amen here? Listen, pay attention. It's the Word of God. Amen. It's going to make you joyful and make you understand the reality of life and the depravity of life and the depravity of my own life. The answer is in Jesus Christ. So you see how it is? In my mind, this coconut... I really want to obey God's word. I really want to do the right thing. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now do we get an understanding of why we continue to sin after we get saved? There's something inside us that wants to control us. And we're born without God in us. We're born spiritually dead at birth. We're born with the sin nature. We're not born with God. We have God was separated from God because of the fall. Until we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we will never get that new nature. And there's only one way to get it. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who rose from the dead. That's how you get saved. And then after you get saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, boop, pops it inside of you. Now all of a sudden, the things that you do don't sit right with you anymore. You're saying, wow, I really don't want to do that anymore. Why am I still doing it? Duh, because you've got a sin nature. That's why you keep doing it, because you're a sinner. But now you've got a new nature that's like, eh, telling you not to. That's how you know that the Holy Spirit's living in you. If you can go full force into sin without any conviction, that means the Holy Spirit's not in you. Because when it is in you, it's like a buzzer. Eh, it stops you. Now you can still go into it, but there's something there that tells you no. It's that little small voice. Say, no, that's not the way to go anymore. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can I get an amen for this? You know, you're not saved by your good works. You're saved unto good works. Good things are done as a result of our salvation, not a condition. Religion has it as a condition. If I do good things, that means I'm going to heaven. No, you do good things because you are going to heaven. That's the result of your salvation, the fruit of your salvation, doing things God's way and not yours. 
Can I get an amen for this? It doesn't depend on our works. It didn't depend on how we work to get saved, our performance to get saved. And it doesn't depend on our performance to stay saved. Our performance just rocks in the fact that we are saved. It reassures ourselves that we're saved by doing the right thing and saying no to sin. Can I get an amen for this? It convinces ourselves. Because we doubt ourselves all the time. Am I really saved the way I've been living, the way I've been thinking? Well, if you've been living and thinking a sinful way, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you to stop, then you know you're okay. But if your conscience is seared with a hot iron, and you have no problem sinning against God, and no healthy fear of God, you have to ask yourself the question, did I believe it to begin with? That's all there is to it. Because when that Holy Spirit comes in you, he seals you. In the Old Testament, the seal until the day of redemption, the seal of the signet ring from the king meant he cannot take it back. It's a gift. So that conviction will stay with you. If you fall into sin, that conviction will still be there and he'll draw you back and he'll cause many problems in your life to get you back. That's how you know that you are saved. But if you go headstrong into sin, forget about God completely, and live a life ungodly, and have no conviction and never come back, don't you dare think that you're going to heaven after, because you ain't going anywhere. You're down for the pit of hell. The Bible is clear on that. Can I get amen for this? Conviction is the, uh, is the evidence that when I do something wrong, God's nudging me. Remember that game Operation? Remember that old game? When you hit the side, you try to get the bone, right? That's the same thing. When you're trying to do the right thing and get it, and you go the wrong way, the little buzz, that little Holy Spirit buzzer goes off inside you. Nobody has to tell you you're doing wrong. You know. See, when you're a sinner, nobody's telling you you're doing wrong. You just do wrong naturally. You know, when you were in the world, you were doing the things of the world, not recognizing you were doing anything wrong. Just following the ways of the world. But then when you get saved, you start looking and say, wow, I was doing the same thing they're doing. Not then you start to see it the other way. Because God's, now you, your eyes are opened to what the devil's controlling out there. Can I get an amen for this? I'm trying to give you an understanding here. All right, before we go. Now, Paul was describing the normal condition of Christians who are free from the condemnation of the law. Okay? but who do not yet perfectly fulfill the requirements of the, law, of the law. So the Apostle Paul, who was dramatically converted and transformed, still struggled with indwelling sin, which prevented him from what? Perfectly obeying God. Okay? Thus, Paul articulates every Christian struggle to walk in faith. We will always struggle with indwelling sin until the day we die and stand before him or until he returns and takes us home to heaven. What should we do? We should acknowledge and confess our failures. What's the next one? Then repent and accept God's cleansing, which makes us clean and whole again. How about an amen for that? Repentance, confession, and repentance should be a daily thing for a Christian. Now, the last scripture before we leave, John, 1 John chapter 1. That's the last one. Maybe. <laughs> First John chapter 1. 
And we'll continue with this message next time we get together. Lord willing. 1 John 1, look at verse 5. a minute to get there. I'm learning patience. How about you? <laughs> How does God teach us patience? By putting us in the most impatient circumstance. <laughs> there, is no, there is no growth without resistance. So just get used to it, okay? As long as you're living a godly life in this world, you are going to face opposition and resistance. It's what you do with it that counts and how you handle it. He gives us the ability to handle it. It's not, oh, why me, God? Why me? <laughs> I'm just going to say one thing. Grow up. When you start to say, why me, God? Grow up. Why me? Why? Are you, are you somebody special that you shouldn't get any adversity? I don't know about you, but I don't know. If I keep saying, why me? I might as well just go in the grave now. There's always something happening. Believe me. Why me? It's because you're doing the right thing. When you're living right and doing the right thing down here, you are going to get hammered down here to get back into the devil's kingdom. So don't expect everything to go rosy because you're living right. Listen, living right is not, nothing to be rewarded. You're supposed to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. There's no reward in doing the right thing. You're supposed to. All right, verse 5. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now I'll declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness or go on living in our sin nature. This is what he's saying here. We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. You cannot fellowship with God living in sin. It does not, it won't happen. We are not, look what it says. We, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness, which is in our sin nature. We are not practicing the truth. See it? Practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. You see it? There's a condition there, isn't there? If we claim we have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his, his word, you see what it says? His word has no place in our hearts. Amen. I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts or in our lives. Amen? I'll leave you with that. Thank you for letting me share in that message. I mean, I'm going to call the ushers to come up and take up the collection, and we are going to close.
subtraction power.
How fitting is that song, right? We all have resurrection power Amen. living inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. David, you want to come up and close us? We all bow our heads for prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this wonderful and humbling opportunity to gather together as your family, as a congregation in this church you've given us as a gift. Lord, Heavenly Father, when the blacksmith makes a sword, he first starts with the blueprints. And once the blueprints are written down, he begins to hammer away at the metal, crafting it and shaping it into a wonderful piece of jewelry, weaponry, whatever is needed. Lord, when we confess our faith to you, you made the blueprints, and the next comes away the hammering. Lord, I pray for all of us here, the hardest part is to trust you during that hammering process, yes, Lord. to hope and to have the confidence needed to understand that by the end of all that hammering, all the chiseling away, that will be crafted into something new, beautiful, and useful for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, it's a hard process to do. We desperately need your help in it. Because we cannot do it in ourselves, Lord. We will easily give up without your faith and without the hope and the confidence and the promises that you've given us all, Lord. I pray, Lord, for all of us here, not just myself, that our faith in you may be strong as the steel cable that hold up bridges, Lord. Let it never bend. Let it never break. Let us stand firm in you, Lord. And let us ignore the passions and the idols of our flesh as we continue this walk with you, Lord. And I pray for all of these things through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Thanks, David. Service is over. Go enjoy the rest of the day in faith. Have a great day. Until we meet again, God bless. Peace.